Welcome back for the fourth season of the Temporary Fandoms Podcast, the show that listens to and discusses complete discographies. It's been a bit of a break since we finished season three with our episode on Das Racist, but we're gearing up to bring you a lot more music in some exciting new formats. It turns out that a global pandemic is the perfect time to launch a podcast because most of our would-be guests were stuck at home twiddling their thumbs. As soon as everybody started playing out again, things slowed down, but we're back and we're raring to go. Firstly, the Temp Fans podcast is now part of a suite of similar shows within the Infrequency Network, so our new home is at infrequency.co.uk. I know we've had a lot of new homes, but I think this one's going to stick. There, we'll be putting out a monthly edition of podcasts that'll include this very show alongside Ewan's MSG podcast and other music-themed shows featuring familiar voices. Also, you can now listen on Mixcloud, which is a great leap forward because we finally hit upon a subscription model that makes sense. In essence, you're paying for the music, as a portion of what you pay goes directly to the featured artists. $2.99 a month will buy you a whole magazine's worth of music-themed podcasts with the tunes we're talking about. But enough of that. Let's get on with the stuff you came for, which is a complete discography dissected and discussed. So join me, Ewan, and two returning guests as we take on the madly derivative, yet consistently entertaining, LCD sound system. Hello there, welcome to Temporary Fandoms. We are back. It has been a while. There's been a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes, um, which you'll find out about over for the next 12 months. But basically, if you go to tempfans.com, as usual, you will find that you are now sitting, looking at the podcast in on our new website, in frequency.co.uk, sort of a monthly audio magazine collection of podcasts kind of thing. Just go and have a look. Basically, it makes more sense when you go and have a look in frequency.co.uk. Or alternatively, all of our audio um, with music, um, the majority of which is free to listen to, uh, you can find at mixcloud.com slash tempfans. I'm Ewan. I'm Nick. And um, yeah, so Nick, I mean, why did we go to Mixcloud? What's that? Oh, uh, because cause Spotify was shit, basically. Right? I mean, no, but the, the thing with Mixcloud means that we can we can put out the podcast with the music embedded in the podcast and for a subs- small subscription, most of which actually goes to the artists. Now, we could have done something similar on Spotify, but it meant you had to have a premium account, and that just seemed like bollocks. So, Mixcloud. That's pretty much it. Um, most of our pods will be free on there. Um, temporary Fandoms is will be exclusive to $2.99 a month, which is the, the lowest we could make it officially. Um, but that's because of the amount of songs by one artist. We could It, it just works that way. Go and have a look. Mixcloud.com slash tempfans or find everything at infrequency.co.uk. Right. Temporary fandoms. Nick and I have forgot what we're doing, but we're going to see if we can give it a go. Um, those of you who have listened for a while will remember... Um, about a year ago, there was a show where I got slightly narked by something. Um, some German band, I can't remember who they're called. Um, and, and joining Nick and I on that show were Christopher Whitby and Aaron Troy White. Hey, Chris. Hello, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Thanks for, thanks for coming back. It's um, a pleasure, a pleasure as always. And also 
on that show where we talked about can was Aaron Troy White. Hey, Aaron. Guten Abend. Oh, well, I, I, I must have set you up for that. I didn't see oh, that yeah. coming. And Aaron, like he did a year ago, is going to be taking us through who? Now we're going through the ever so popular American indie rock band LCD Sound System. And what albums? Well, we're actually going to be starting with their early sing- We're actually going to be starting with their early singles, uh, starting in 2002, up through their most recent album from 2017, American Dream. Thank you. Um, for those of for those of you who know that we we came out of a Facebook podcast and Facebook group, and this episode is sort of a guilt thing because about two two and a half years ago there was a, a poll. Um, let, let's let's have an, let's do an immersion. Let's look at a group, and um, Aaron put up LCD Sound System, thinking quite rightly they're popular. They'll um they'll, they'll get the vote. Um, I sent messages to everybody saying, please vote for Gay Bikers on Acid. And somehow, <laughs> Gay Bikers on Acid became a, a Facebook immersion we listened to every album. And LCD Sound System, to this day, hasn't yet been done. Although, maybe... It's imminent. It's imminent. Uh, it is imminent. So, Aaron, you're welcome. Right. You know, now, <laughs> now, now I've spent a week listening to LCD Sound System, I realise how fucked that is that we chose Gay Bikers on Acid. I just want to say that right now. <laughs> I'd also convinced myself this week that we had done it on the pod, on the Facebook group. So I think I might have had some sort of out of body experience. So you know, I we have though. I mean, we've done Talking Heads. We've done yeah, David that's Bowie. True. So therefore, we've Can technically before. done LCD sound yeah. system. Craft work. Yeah. Okay. Well, all of those things have been discussed on the Facebook group. They may become podcasts or features at some point. Um, we're going to get cracking because we've been talking for way too long and you're going to now hear Aaron talk you through the first few releases and then we'll be back to have a chat. So see you in a bit. LCD sound system appeared out of nowhere with the 2002 debut single losing my edge. It lays out the cards of the group's creative mastermind, James Murphy, right from the get-go. It is not the peak of his powers, but James Murphy burst onto the scene fully formed. Losing My Edge is a certified banger. Now we can ascertain the following things. 1. James Murphy is funny. People recognized this when he was just out of university. He was offered a spot writing for a sitcom. He said no. He'd never heard of any of the people involved. Instead, he followed his dream of becoming a successful drummer. The show we passed up on will go on to be arguably one of the greatest comedy shows of all time. Maybe you've heard of it. It was a little thing called Seinfeld. Losing My Edge features a half-sung list of hilarious boasts and grievances about the impermanent nature of cool, and about how he, as a mere 32-year-old, is already washed up. The one thing that made him special, his uniquely cool taste in music, had not only been absorbed, but bettered by the kids. The track is a hipster boast about how he liked literally everything before it was cool. 2. James Murphy is a music geek. Half of Losing My Edge is just him listing his favorite bands, from Can to fellow Krautrockers Niagara to Gil Scott Heron. 
The fun of LCD and sound system is picking up on all of the references to the awesome shit us music nerds love. One of the biggest criticisms of James Murphy's music is his liberal borrowing from the canon of cool. He's a music lover, and he wants to make stuff he likes, but he does it by taking all of his favorites and putting them in a blender. And there's nothing wrong with that. In his own words, I'm a bit of a zealot. I've always been a good imitator. I love music, but I'm just not that original. 3. James Murphy isn't in a hurry. Don't get me wrong, the guy can deliver a punchy pop song, but the 8 minute losing my edge is a template for much of what we'll hear going forward. Start with a simple beat and just keep adding layers. Is it an original approach? No, we've already established this, but like most disciples of the mighty can, he knows how to do the slow build. 4. James Murphy wants us to dance. But that wasn't always his goal. For a long time, the unshaven stepdad of dance rock wasn't in the dancing. For years, he bounced around rock bands, including stints with pavement-style indie group Pony and math rocker Speed King. But everything would change in 1999, when he was hired as an engineer for David Holmes's Bow Down to the Exit sign, where he met Tim Goldsworthy. Tim introduced him to Ecstasy. He gave him to him at a club. James was just standing there, fighting it, being too self-aware to just let go and dance. Then suddenly, the DJ started spinning the classic boogie down track, Tomorrow Never Knows by the Beatles. And he just gave in. He closed his eyes and started dancing like a madman, while a ring of people formed around him, chanting his name. He decided then that he was always meant to dance. So he started DJing with Tim around New York, where he played Can, Liquid Liquid, Gang of Four, Detroit Techno, Daft Punk, whatever else would get the people moving. Together with Jonathan Galkin, they formed Death From Above Records, where they put out dance rock records by upstarts like The Rapture and veterans Juan McLean. Then, when he noticed that his own musical tastes were becoming less niche, more mainstream, he pulled out this one-time joke record. But then, people bought it, and it became an underground hit. Next thing you know, the man who'd made a song about how he was no longer cool was suddenly, at the age of 32, really cool. James Murphy was suddenly the toast of NYC. Among the first to try to cash in on the action was none other than Britney Spears. They had a few meetings to write songs and just listen to music, but she wasn't being real enough for James, and he pushed her harder and harder until she just left to get some food and never came back. He was also invited by Janet Jackson to produce her next project. All he had to do was call Dan, but he never did call Dan. Not in the least because he didn't know who the hell Dan was. James Murphy followed his surprise top 120 UK hit with a series of singles, showing his chameleon-like ability to honor his influences. Instead of Electronica, his follow-up was the post-punk of Give It Up, along with the Stooges freakout of Tired. Next, he put out Yeah, a celebration of 30 years of dance music. Over its 20 minutes, it stretches from Stevie Wonder clavinet workouts to house the techno, and yes, of course, even a bit of krautrock. Murphy considers it to be one of the most difficult pieces of music he ever made. By the time his eponymous debut came out in early 2005, 
He was delivering proper hits. The opening track and first single, Daft Punk is playing at my house, reached the top 40 in the UK. The song tells of a fantasy gig by the French superstars in the narrator's basement. Oddly enough, his tribute sounds nothing like Daft Punk. It's a muscular rocker, deftly towing the line between funk and punk. The album's second single, Tribulations, was written on a lark. James just wanted to show how easy it was to write a pop song, and he liked it so much he decided to continue working on it, making one of the band's most fun songs as a result. James's goal with his eponymous debut was to make an album, something that flowed together with ups and downs and a variety of tempos and styles. It plays like a journey through James Murphy's record collection. For example, there's a clear Beatles influence <coughs> ripoff in Never As Tired As When I'm Waking Up. James also noticed the similarity and tossed in a George Harrison guitar solo, just to show that he is fully aware that he just re-recorded Dear Prudence. Other cases of transparent influence includes the Timbaland tribute of Thrills and his Eno pastiche, The Great Release. Now your enjoyment of this album, and really all of LCD Sound System's work, hinges on your feeling towards his borrowing. Still, this is a load of fun filled with danceable, joyous tracks, and it comes off as a playlist by your coolest friends. James would get better, and his tributes would become less overt, but there's just a certain joy of discovery in this album, like a man exploring his possibilities. Uh, welcome back. Um, you've been listening to Aaron Troy White talk you through the first few um, releases of LCD Sound System. And if you're listening on Mixcloud, you've been listening to the music as well. Don't forget there is a playlist if you have not. Um, I, I have to start by saying, um, I mean, I sort of didn't really notice LCD Sound System when they came out. I was, I, I'm not sure where I was living. Um, I'd hear a single every year or two on Six Music, basically. So I probably knew about four songs, which was two more than I thought I did. Um, so I knew nothing about them. Zero. Um, I thought it was English. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people I don't do. Know why. Yeah. Even Marky Smith why. thought that. Yeah. Oh, uh, so it's a thing. Oh, thank God. I, 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 never, I never saw that though. I, yeah. Obviously he makes reference to one of the songs. You've made reference to it here, but he clearly has an American accent. So I find it very strange that uh, the English thing, but anyway. I don't know. I, mean, I think for me, I think for me, and we'll 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 talk about it a bit later. I, I don't know. I think I didn't really know much electronica coming out of America at the time. Not a massive amount. So there was those DNTL and a few things, but based, but there was quite a lot coming out of the UK or like Post Chemical Brothers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And this this guy who just basically did full songs and Bowie songs and whatnot sounded. British to me. Anyway, I've discovered that he wasn't. Um, Aaron, wh- where do we begin? Um, well, I guess we can begin in uh, 2002. He um, he kind of on a lark. He, I keep it, okay. I'm just going to make something very clear from the very beginning because I think it gets a bit confusing uh, with LCD Sound System. But LCD Sound System is actually two separate entities in a way. The studio works of lcd sound system are basically entirely the works of a man james murphy who i've been talking about already um but he produces the songs in the studio and then a band 
called LCD Sound System, led by James Murphy, performs the songs. So there's there's the studio entity, which is basically solo works with some help from friends. And then there's the band, which is the touring band that is plays that, the songs. Is that true that they of all the albums? Yeah, they all they all. Oh, OK, he's out of like the, like there's like he has guests feel, on there. I, like, I feel like, le- less bad about not being able to name any of the other band members now. <laughs> and they're not always the same people. The people that play in the albums aren't always the same people that play live either. Right. He's, he's, it's, that's quite a common thing for a lot of solo artists. Is there's, there's so it's solo artists with backing band, and it's the same backing band that usually goes on tour with them. They just it would just be called James Murphy, James Murphy Live, and Dave's there going, "I'm here too. I'm always here." But fuck off, Dave. That is always the same backing Poor band. Dave. I mean, it's, Poor Dave. I know, right? Um, okay, so what? 2002. There's the two LCD sound systems. Well, there's only one at that point, right? Yeah. At this point, he's just uh, he's a uh, he's a DJ, and he runs a record label that was at that point. I think they just had. I think they had the Rapture. I don't know if you know them. They also they play a similar style of music. Um, and he just kind of uh, he just noticed that in a way he was losing his edge. Like he was this. He kind of c- came onto the scene as this DJ, and he was playing this post-punk like he was playing stuff like liquid liquid and like gang of four and the fall and can and all that stuff around new york and he was the only person playing this music because it just wasn't hip then and then suddenly he began to realize that his influence on the scene as a dj started spreading out and then he's getting into his 30s now and then suddenly realizes that all the 20 year old djs are pumping this stuff and he's like that's that's my thing you're taking my thing and just he just kind of got fed up and he recorded this this kind of this little rant about how he's losing touch losing with uh, with what's cool in the world because they've they've taken it from him and um, became a hit i mean I, I i will say that i mean as i said in the introduction like the last time us the four of us were together for an episode it was can which was about a year ago um listening to this immersion and being opening line i was there at cano oh for fuck's sake <laughs> seriously I, I just stared up stared up at the ceiling go oh serious what am i what am i letting myself in for um i didn't know this song but i knew the video and i think it was always playing in the pool hall in maybe amsterdam where i was living at the time it was one of those i think was playing in a pub or playing on mixes but I, the video was always there with him getting slapped or slapped and but i never heard the song Okay, which is which is odd. Um, I liked it. <laughs> um, it. Okay, I listened to everything once, and I wasn't overly happy at the beginning. But I went back, and some of it I'm really glad I did. And this was one that got it hooked into me the second time. Particularly, I mean, like Loser Mayors is a banger. Um, now cast iron banger. Um, really good sound. Very clever. In terms of you know referencing everything, and he sort of sets his stall out for his entire career. Mm-hmm. I like much, this. Yeah. This is what I like. Do you like this? Hit subscribe. It's just like yeah. some artists they like to wear. They you know sometimes they say, oh, some artists they like to you know wear their influences on their sleeves. He just went and made a list of his influences and called it a song. He's like, there we go. This is me. <laughs> that said, though, there's a band from the '80s called uh, I Ludicrous that did a song, which I think you should all go and listen to, called My Favourite Records, where a guy just goes through his record collection and talks about his favourite records. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know. He probably knew it. I don't know. I mean, it's it's obscure 80s indie. 
hundred <laughs> percent. Exactly. That's his thing, right? Um, That's his thing. Uh, one of the things I've noticed by doing this podcast is every time Chris comes on, he has a little notebook and he has his little, his little comments of what each thing made reminding him of. Um, Chris. <laughs> Hello. Uh, do you know what? I lost my notepads. So today I had to <laughs> scroll some things. So I've got a very large A4 notepad now, which is very empty, which is quite sad. Uh, but do you know what? The thing about losing my edge um, it is, I agree, a banger. Um, I actually thought it was on the album. That's the thing that I got a bit confused about because I think the copy I had was just had it at the end, even though I know that there's this double disc edition now. But mine was, I don't know, I think I had a bad copy of it, basically. I think I had an early 2000s Napster copy, maybe, where they had uh, blurred in the track. So I thought Lose On My Edge was on the album anyway. But yeah, um, yeah, I mean, it sounds like can, doesn't it? You know, that was some more extra vocals. There's nothing, there's nothing much else to say. I mean, on that EP, I, I think there's a couple of songs that don't really work, I would say. I think that one, is it, um, oh, what it's called now? Tired? I think it's called Tired, the punk one. It's just, it's just totally not really, and I think it may come back later, actually, but it's just a bit pointless. But on the whole, it's kind of, that, those first singles are what most people think LCD Sound System sound like, with my summary. It's like kind of like long, funky and dancey, whereas I think that kind of undersells them a little bit, I think. I mean, obviously, we're already starting to reference other bands and we talked a little bit about this, Nick and I, about, you know, is it just lazy or trite to just go, well, this sounds like this, this sounds like this. But when you've got somebody who comes out like a Formula One driver with all his sponsors tied on, stuck onto his shirt, like this, I like this band, I like this band, I like this band. If he's using his, his musical history also as, as social currency, I guess, cool currency, okay, I like, I like Can, then I think it, and also going, Oh, this sound, this song sounds like the fall, and this song sounds like David Bowie, and this song sounds like Talking Heads. I think it would be almost wrong you can't, in this situation I mean, to not to not talk about yeah. this sounds like this, this sounds like this. You literally cannot talk about L C D sound system without doing that. There's there's just no way. You I mean, do it. Basically it's it, it what I love about this about the group is that I, somehow I think that if I were a musician, I'd probably do the same thing. Where it's just like James Murphy likes these groups and then his idea is like well you know they haven't made enough music so i'm gonna make more music that's my favorite music yeah but yeah. that's kind of like kind of like when that other guy wrote extra douglas adams books and i was like i mean yeah it's in the it's in the style of but i don't know well an interesting <laughs> comparison i heard today i had a, I had a drink with a friend today who's an lcd sound system fan and i was chatting to him about my feelings about the band and, and talking about this idea that that it feels like that it's music just made out of other music that he likes. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I think it's an interesting thing that he does. But his comparison, which I thought was really interesting, was uh, Quentin Tarantino. Who does oh, exactly no, the same come thing with on, film. no. No, wait. And I, 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 that, really, <laughs> that really worked for me because I kind of like those films, but there's a level at which they slightly leave me cold. And I'm reluctant to say this about LCD Sound System because I have kind of warmed to them over the week, listening to them over and over again. And, and I do like them. This is the thing. I have to qualify it with that. But there's something that stops me really fucking loving it. This is music made entirely out of other music that I like. Yeah. And I do like it. And yet I don't, I don't love it. And that... I think as well, there's something interesting about that. Because like 
I'm going to be careful what I say now, but like Quentin Tarantino is one of those things where you maybe liked them. Those kind of bands where you like them, Quentin Tarantino is the same as films. You love them when you're at a certain age and you think these are amazing. And then you try and stick with it to the end and it just never makes you feel the same way. Do you see what I mean? Like, you know, like things like Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs were fine when I was like, whenever they came out and I was 17 or 18. Whereas I just can't even, I mean, I, did, I can face the last LT Sound System albums, it's a bit unfair, but like the Quentin Tarantino films, I just can't face them now because I've seen so much of it. Yeah, but, you see what I mean? It always does yeah, the same yeah, thing. Because, yeah, but that's because Jackie Brown was the best Tarantino movie anyway. Uh, so that is true. Agree on. Uh, yeah, I might have, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, maybe that's a, a thing we can all agree on, like Long Cam. That was nice. his film. That was the only one he made that that was an orig- that wasn't an original an original quote story. It was the only one that wasn't. That was the only one that was. An I want to ask you about that, but we're in danger of going down. What I wanted to say Let's, though was, was the guy that I'm referring to who made this reference. I think why that spoke to me was also because he was of a generation where, when he got into LCD sound system, he didn't know all the bands it was referencing. He, oh, that's he interesting. Yeah. found them, but. At the time he was a fan, he's not hearing it the way I hear it. I'm hearing it. I'm thinking, well, he clearly loves the fall, right? I'm, I'm hearing that all the time and I can't not hear it. But for someone coming to it new and loving it, and, and you know, when I first saw Tarantino films, I hadn't seen the films that he was referencing, probably. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to counter that before we carry on with um, Bowie. Yeah. Bowie... As we discussed when we did Bowie on the Pod, and came up quite a lot, um, he was influenced by other music that was going on at the time that he listened to it. Oh my God, this is amazing. Bowie copied, stole, whatever, a lot of music, but it all sounded original. Mm. When it came out, Bowie, you, you might be able to go, oh yeah, that, well, that's, oh, I can see the that's journey. Something about it. I, I think this. James Murphy doesn't have that distinctive voice. It's like when he does a full song, it doesn't have the distinction of... The Marky Smith voice. And when he does a Bowie song, oh, there's no distinction of a Bowie he voice. Tries. No, he tries, but exactly. It's because he's <laughs> singing like someone else. He doesn't have quite a strong enough signature voice of his own. I can't believe I we're feel. 15 minutes in and we're already talking about the fall. Like, I honestly thought we might get <laughs> longer. <laughs> I can't believe it. 15 minutes into his career. I mean... <laughs> I mean, if there was ever, that, you know there was ever an episode where we're going to basically do the greatest hits of temporary fandoms, it's 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 actually these I think I might have blurred out the bit when he mentions the fall or sounds like the fall. I think I've just got this filter now where it's like if someone mentions Marky Smith, I just kind of uh, turn the other way. Maybe I just didn't. Yeah, I don't hear the no, fall. Actually, I don't think he. I, I don't actually think he names checks the okay, fall. Okay, that's fine because he doesn't name check the fall. Okay, but. I'd, How to tell hmm. somebody's name checking the fall without them name checking the fall is when you do a song uh, and at the end of the uh, words you uh, you do your Marky e. Smith this is, and he does that. This is a genuine James Murphy quote: "The fall are my Beatles." Oh no! Come on, James Murphy's cancelled. I'm not having it. I'm not having it. Fuck it out. This is what happens if you bring millennials on the show, Ewan. You and know you know who else said that? Oasis. Right, moving on. He didn't say that. No, 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 no. Okay. So wait, wait, wait. No, I have to. What he said about the fall, I have to tell you what Marky Smith said about LCD sound system. Who is that? He said, he's just some New York arsehole. Wow. Okay. So we we've had a brief look at the we had we had a brief look at the um the the early singles and then we talked about other things for ten minutes um but now we're going to go to album proper and 
this would be the first time I had any idea that they existed because I can't remember where I was living. It wasn't wasn't the UK, but I was listening to Radio Six a lot back in the back in the day. And Daft Punk is playing in my house was on every show, like every two hours, on repeat, on repeat, on repeat. Um, first time I listened to this album properly the other week. Um, I made some notes. And then when I went back to listen to it again, I had to scribble them out. But I'm going to use my joke anyway, which is no longer relevant. Uh-huh. <clears throat> it's a good job they're called LCD sound system, because like beef TVs, they, sound, they are flat. I really didn't like it. I thought it was just a flat album. There was nothing. There was nothing for me the first time I listened to it. And I scribbled that down. And I was a little bit wrong. Um, I think, obviously, Daft Punk is amazing. Great, great tune. Um, there are some massive highlights. So movement, even though it's a bit Marky Smith, um, is a great track, especially when it kicks in and gets all punky. Um, Disco Infiltrator veers between great and grating. Um, it's, it's amazing at times. Um, and then I couldn't work out what it reminded me of. And it was the White Stripes doing the song from Citizen Kane, which was also done in The Simpsons, which is sort of, there is a man, a certain man, and for the poor you may be sure that he'll do all he can. And that is Disco Infiltrator. Also, you listen to Home Computer. There we go. I also think on Disco Infiltrator, he does two of the things in the career that are the most annoying things that he does. Like that kind of nasally singing, which I find infuriating. It, it kind of drops off after this one. And that thing, he does the Ozzy Osbourne thing of singing the melody, which in my eyes is uh, unforgivable. Like totally unforgivable. <laughs> oh, I, I, I call it the badly drawn boy. That, that's all yeah, badly drawn that's boy. Yeah, that's about right, did. yeah. All I'm doing is singing the same thing out on the piano. At least Ozzy was singing War Pigs. Do you know what I mean? So at least he gets away with yeah. it. Do you know what I mean? So it's like other people are not singing War Pigs. And I am Matt. Do you know what I mean? It's like... Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, just before I hand over, like, I think Tribulations was great. Although Tribulations Fucking reminded awesome. me of, of CSS, can say to say sexy, which makes sense because CSS referenced Death From Above in one of their songs, which was, I think, James Murphy's original DJ label thing. Yeah, it's the label, yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, that On Repeat was one of the two lowlights for me. Um, It was really smart and clever. Oh, yeah, I get it. You're repeating something about repeating something about repeating something. But it reminded me a bit like that episode in Friends when Ross turned up with a keyboard and just started pressing buttons and went, oh! It was... (laughs) really subpar for the rest of the album and finally never as tired as when i'm waking up obviously he quite likes some mid-90s uk brit pop particularly the stuff that harks back to the beatles this though was menswear it was fucking <laughs> oh, menswear that's harsh that reminded me literally of being brave by menswear and I, I listened to it again this morning i was like nah those two tracks are really let the album down but the rest of the album's fucking great uh, aaron like menswear is like uh, I'm, I'm the, a byword <laughs> for forgettable 90s indie in my world it's just like you know it's like okay. that band that yeah I mean, i've forgotten them yeah no one and i can never name a song even though everyone seems i mean i think they're slightly uh, they, before my time i think i only remember them because i Briefly met them once and I insulted them by saying that they sounded like Blur and I had to leave the hotel. But anyway, that one track reminds me of a particular menswear track. And um, 
I still can't get over it. But but it's an 80% amazing album with two songs I really don't like. Um, Aaron, why am I wrong? <laughs> I, well, I mean, I, I, there are also two tracks I don't like, but there are different tracks than the ones you picked. I am not a big fan of Thrills or Great Release. I, neither of those really do much for me. I don't think they're bad. They're just not really my thing. Um, I used to jam on repeat a lot. I, I, I love this album. I think this isn't this wasn't the first album I ever heard, but it was the first one I ever bought. Um, when I was living in Thailand, I was not working as a DJ, but I was working at this restaurant where I had the DJ because the owner was like hoping to get parties started at the restaurant. Oh, and don't tell yourself short. You were the DJ. I, I'm fine. I was the DJ. I was the DJ. And I was playing a lot of LCD sound system and and hot chip and stuff like that, because as an American, that's about as electronic dance music as we get. You know, it was. Uh-huh. And so I was playing this album a lot there and, and people were getting into it. It seemed like a good compromise, you know, like. You know, I can still listen to some rock music, but it's also electronic dance music. And I think, I think you, I think that's a really good point. Though. I mean, when I okay, when I use the word indie disco, I'm talking about anything that played alternative music in the '90s that I went to when I was younger. Um, if LCD sound system had been around, it would be oh, that, that would have been on the dance floor every every single. But they're credited with Friday, having helped that kind of crossover happen because I mean. You know, we we both came from that same generation where we went to indie clubs and we went to dance clubs, but they were separate things. As a generation, no, we went no. to both. I mean, I, I went to. You did know, you both. not? Did you not get things but, like Prodigy, Chemical Brothers, whatnot? On, yeah, okay, you yours. got that, but then you went to a club where you hear just hard house all night, right? It was very. I don't know. I mean, yes, I, I was okay, aware of was, those clubs. <laughs> I think we're learning something new about Nick tonight. That because uh, I don't imagine that. It was a thing. It was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I know you you mean. had to go somewhere to take ecstasy. <laughs> yeah, I used to do that in indie clubs. Weirdo. Um, <laughs> you go to indie clubs to drink cheap cider. And one pound beers. Yeah, get ma- get mashed up and, and dance to pretty much everything. Um, I can't believe that we're, that we're finally doing a, a group that's from my country and it's full of cultural references I don't get. Um, like, come on. Right. Come on, you right. snuck a Bob Seger reference into your introduction. Right. Last time you were on, who was the band? Uh... Neutral Milk Hotel. Yeah, Neutral Milk Hotel. It's it's like there's been a few episodes now. They're not from Earth, though. They're from no country. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? They're from from outer space. Oh, okay. In that case, case, Aaron, when when you were growing up in your formative years, um, did the, what we would call an indie disco, uh, exist in the same sort of way? You go somewhere every Friday or Saturday night, you have half an hour of Nirvana type stuff, half an hour of Chemical Brothers type stuff, half an hour of Blur type stuff. You get drunk or mashed up or whatever, and then you go home. And then half an hour of New York. Fuck town with a thousand people. Well, the the, the closest thing to that was there was a, 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 an, an unused rock quarry just out of town <laughs> that people used to go and drink at. That was okay. We, Did they play music? Wow. Our idea of a disco was that we we drove around. It was called uh, roadieing, where you just drove around in a car and you smoked marijuana and listened to System of a Down. That yeah, was I, our party when I was growing up. Fuck, yeah, the indie so discos fucked. that I went to was Somebody like probably listen- <laughs> Oh yeah, sorry, Chris. Now, just going to say, no one's mentioned new metal yet until uh, Aaron just did. I'm so now we're back on the right track. You ain't all evening. Yeah. So. Someone just plays Blind by Corn at like half past 11 at night and it shit goes down. Do you know what I mean? 
Oh, it was just, it was just <laughs> like God smack and, and Slipknot all day. That was my life. Can I, can I just say, it, it what we're talking it about, wasn't. sorry, the LCD system in the context of them being a party band, which oh, I yeah, really think they are. Is, I, one of the things they I wrote are. in the margin is, I really think I need to be listening to this louder. You know, because the thing, I've been listening to it at home all week. Yeah. I've been listening to it on headphones, walking around town. But I think I really need to hear them at a party. I think that's, um, that's what I was going to say, actually. I saw them on this tour. Like, I saw them live on the tour for the first album. Uh, they played a festival. But what I vividly remember about it was there was hardly anyone there. That's what I really vividly... They played quite high up on the bill. They were uh, about thirds from top. And it was very loud, but there was no one there. It was really weird. Like, when you think about now... I'm sort of learning something about every time you come on because you also went to see Future of the Left at some afternoon kids gig that nobody was there. Mate, do I'm, you just see bands when nobody? What I like is I just like bands no one likes. I just like bands before you, Aaron. Um, you know, uh, that's I have it. that problem. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it was really weird there. But then I looked back at the 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 um, lineup of it today. And what was quite odd about it is you kind of look back at that period in England and think there was all this LCD sound system and the Rapture who were quite big over here. But really, it was more indie rock. That, that was the predominant thing. It was like I was saying to Nick today, like Duke what Spirit. Uh, I saw him in 2005. So really, in the UK, it was okay. things like Block Party, um, Maxima Park, you know, the Rapture. It was kind of slightly after that, you got things like does it offend you? Yeah, the Claxons. That is a, it just, it's just interesting that that lineup, they were slightly of an outcast in it. They were more electro. Yeah. They were doing more kind of, uh, yeah, dance orientated with the bands around them were really still post-punk. That's what they were. They were like the post-punk revival going on in the UK. So I don't know. I just found it interesting. They kind of stand out as being, yeah, I don't know really. There was a lot going on then, but then they were just pre in the UK, the dreaded, um, new rave do you know what i mean like that kind of thing that happened shortly after mm-hmm. as well so i don't know oh, i find which they may have played some part in instigating as well. i think like. they played more than a little part in instigating yeah yeah, yeah. so <laughs> they're just kind of interesting really for that period because i don't think i ever heard them played an indie disco or anything now i think about it but they should have really mm-hmm. been front and center do you know what i mean really and yeah, what would make totally. it slap yeah i just played i don't I'd have played. I'd have played it every week. Yeah, hands down. There'd have been. Diff- There'd have been a perfect half hour segment. Well, the that thing is, once me and you and stopped going to the indoor discos, they kind of lost their way a bit. Yeah, they stopped banging, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. I would they also say. I would also say that I remember quite liking this album at the time. Obviously, why I went to see them before anyone had ever heard of them, obviously. Um, but then um, <laughs> I listen to it now. I don't know. I don't really get the same vibe off it anymore. I find it actually a bit boring in parts and a bit like not as. Flat, flat. Yeah, flat. And the singing it's starts not, to get on my no, nerves. No, I don't think so at all. I just find I, it a little bit annoying in parts now. I don't know what it is. I, I love the latest stuff, but this one, you know, I've been listening to them a lot all okay. week. A lot. But that one, I just struggle to get through every time. Whereas a few of their albums, I can just keep going over and over again. Yeah, this apart from after Daft Punk, which is incredible. But something mm. about it, it doesn't click for me anymore. I don't know what it is. There's just something... Maybe it's too, too too early two thousands for me. <laughs> Maybe that's. I want to forget about I that might, period in time. I might be with you though. Oh, good lad. I like I this. I don't get me wrong. I love this album. I, yeah, I love yeah. This group, but like this used to be my favorite, and mm. now I put it at the at the bottom. No, no, no. It's not at the bottom, but it's it's not my favorite anymore. 
Like it's 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 fallen my, down. It's I mean, definitely I, got. I, I would it's, say it's probably my favorite, but then well, maybe it's the most immediate. And you know, given time, because I, I feel like the other albums, given time, could grow because they're the kind of more mature albums. And by mature, I do mean boring. Um. <laughs> <laughs> to me, to me, it's like a mid-table relegation threat album. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's always a potential about hitting the bottom four. That's the problem. Bottom three, actually, in the UK, I just realised. And that's it. For, 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 an, for an artist, we'll move on in a sec, but for an artist who takes great stock in creating an album, you know, and he, he spoke before about, look, I'm, 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 I'm doing a lot of dance stuff, but I want it to feel like an album, like all the albums I loved. This is a weak album. There are too many weak points for it to be great from start to finish. I can pluck out easily a handful of, of songs that would go on the best of or go on any compilation I'd be happy to hear. But there's a couple that are just fine, I guess. But saying that, it was better when I went back to it after listening to the other stuff. Right. We're going to move on a little bit. Um, and we are going to move on to, well, the next voice you hear will be Aaron talking about some Nike running thing. James Murphy wasted little time before starting the follow-up to his critically acclaimed debut. He's never been too secretive about his perfectionism, and he labored over small details for months. Legend has it that during the recording of Sound of Silver, he was approached by Nike and asked to record a long-form workout track, meant as an accompaniment to a run. The only stipulations were that it needed an 8-minute warm-up and cool-down and should last around 45 minutes. There were rumors that he suffered from writer's block and needed a bit of a distraction. So he used Nike's offer to produce a long-form track akin to E2-E4 by Ashra Temple's Mikael Göttsching. What he put together was a six-movement, mostly instrumental space disco opus. One would almost think that it's a DJ mix, but it was mostly recorded by James. 4533 was released in March of 2006 as an iTunes exclusive download. With the album, James released a statement saying how it was based upon science, meant to give rewards at just the right times, and was tested personally during the band's many runs they do on tour, and if you actually believed a word of what he says, then you've probably never seen a picture of James Murphy. He's in fine shape, but he hardly seems the morning jog type. I could be wrong. Despite its name, the album actually clocks in at a bit over 46 minutes. The title is a reference to the two common record player speeds. And how did James Murphy's idol, Eric Gushing, feel about the album? He said, Musically, there's nothing related to E2-E4. Which doesn't really matter. It's fantastic, up there with any of his canonical albums. And when I did my first half marathon in the blaring summer sun with no wind and 40 degrees Celsius, it was this album that gave me the power to push on through. Give it a go the next time you slap on them jogging shoes. When the proper follow-up to their debut dropped, the response was nothing less than a collective great release by the music press. It was a critical orgy. Every single music journalists came. It took months to get the offices at Pitchfork clean again. Sorry for the image. 
There was a Grammy nomination. It topped multiple album of the year lists. And All My Friends was picked up by Pitchfork as the second best song of the decade. Heck, even his idol John Cale covered the song. And I get the excitement. It's that sequel everyone is aiming for. It took everything great from the first album and improved it. The marriage of punk and dance music is fully homogenous. James emerges a much better producer, infusing more drama, more intensity, more fun, and to the joy of record producer, THE Bruce Dickinson, there is a lot more cowbell. Murphy is supplemented by a few more musicians this time around, mainly guitarist Tyler Pope and drummer Patrick Mahoney, the latter adding extra layers of percussion to the remain in light type groove that makes us be them really pop. If you can make it through the whole track without moving a little bit, you probably have no soul. It's all more than just booty shaking though. The center of the album is held by two emotional pop songs, Someone Great and All My Friends, the latter tackling aging and alienation, backed up by an ever-increasing piano motif and Michael Caroy type guitar licks. The influences are more integrated into the sound, but you can still pick them out. Among these is James' newest trick, Deep Bowie Voice, which delivers many of the catchiest melodies on the album. As for the name, it might come from his decision to line the walls of his studio with silver foil. Was this the secret to his success? I don't know. But just in case, the walls of my own studio slash guest bedroom are looking mighty shiny right now. Um, so, Aaron, this one was, this one was put together for Nike, right? Yes. Why? Um, well, Nike was doing just a series of uh, different releases. They wanted to put out like workout little audio exclusive workout things. And then at this point, uh, James Murphy was getting to be, you know, kind of cool. And so they kind of called him up and it's like, hey, do you want to do some workout thing? And he created this like lie that he was like, oh, yeah, he was really into working out and really into jogging. And and I'm going to sure I'm going to make this mix. And he like read a bunch of studies about how you need to have a warm up and a cool down and how like you need to have exact or they had. The, sorry, the, Nike had the rule. You need to have, I think, a seven minutes of warm up and seven minutes of wind down. And then the middle needed to be you know, pumping, getting you going. Okay. Um, who else, do we know who else did these? No, they were doing a I didn't do that okay. level of research. <laughs> I love the idea of like, you know, Captain Beefheart's Nike album. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, who, who else would fast fucking do an bulbous. album sponsored by fast Nike? and bulbous. I'd run to it. <laughs> um, I mean, I know you've made a comment in, I think in the Slack channel, Aaron, that um, the beginning of this is one of the, you're a big fan of this. Um, I found this uncomfortably dull and tedious from <laughs> almost start to finish. Um, I I have to admit skipping twice um, and not the exercise, Anyone which track? probably would have been successful. Skipping forward until I know, skip to, over. Just, um, he now, skipped granted, to a different band. I am <laughs> granted. I am not. Mr. Runny Runny, and in fact, the only times I ever went to a gym and was on the treadmill, I think I, I think my music of of jogging was Prodigy and Primal Screams Exterminator album. That that was my let's let's go on the exercise bike. Um, I just 
I got really bored, and then I started reading other reviews of it, and I was like, why does everyone like this? Pitchfork loved it, although they did use, a, there was one phrase they used, which I totally agree, treadmill disco. And I was like, yeah. But that's what it's meant to be. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's by yeah, that design. Doesn't, that doesn't feel clever enough to be put in a review. Yeah, it's just a description of That's like saying this is an album by LCD Sound System. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I, 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 I talk amongst yourselves. I, 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 I fully intended really to try taking a run to this album because I figured, you know, that's what it was designed for. And uh, like James Murphy, I'm not really a runner. Um, but uh, I had my booster jab on Thursday. So the day I was going to get up on the Friday and do my run to this album, I felt like shit. So I just listened to it at home. That's not much of a story. I just wanted to make an excuse why I didn't go running to this album. <laughs> <laughs> but I liked it. I, I, you know, it, it, it's weird in that it just sounds like a mix, like a big, like, you know, a dance mix of other stuff. Like it sounds like it's full of samples. It doesn't sound like songs or tracks like any of the other albums. Um, but frankly, my notes just say commissioned by Nike. So that's all I've got for you, really. <laughs> Um, Aaron. Uh, well, I mean, like like Nick, until I actually did some research on this for forever, I thought it was a mix. I didn't know that he that he'd actually been he actually played it like any other yeah LCD. I thought I, th- I thought it was a bunch of samples because everything comes in like samples. Like hey, yeah. so did he ever play this? Did he play this as one thing, mm. or did he play all the bits and then cut all the bits together? I I, I I haven't been able bits. to find enough research into that aspect of how he put it together, but he he just he was he was making Sound of Silver, and they asked him to do it, and he just he apparently had some writer's block, and this kind of like snapped him out of it because it oh. got him something else to think about that was less uh, okay. But it really, more fun. One, of, one of the other things I made as a note, which I was thinking more as a general comment, was that like a lot of a lot of the songs are kind of like these cerebral exercises in cool. So the, the songs are kind of like puzzles that you can kind of approach to try and work out, like, what's he referencing there? What's that about? What's he influenced by there? And this is like the ultimate example of that because none of it works as a song in its own right, but it's just like, I'm going to do a bit that sounds like that now, and then I'm going to mix into this bit that sounds like that. It, and it's, it, it's, it's, it's it, all of it, dance. It's like the history of dance. It's like going to a museum anybody, of dance. Does anybody else not remember the, um, uh, the Liam Howlett from Prodigy, his mix album? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it sounds like that. Um, this sounds like that, except him doing all the stuff. I, yeah, I, I'm not which is pretty impressive when you think about it. Even <laughs> if you don't, it, it, it's the thing I'm saying like about LCD sound system is that might ultimately leave you a bit cold, but it's still fucking impressive. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's it. So, I, I'm, I'm always impressed by everything I've listened to. Just sometimes it just. But it's not enough, right? It's, you know, it's like spoon. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, that Spoon will be the first band that we have done an episode of that will have an album coming out in the, in the beginning of next year. So um, buckle up for the catch-up. Yeah, we've got the Richard Dawson album to do as well, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's so good. Yeah. At the risk I was going to prepare, I was gonna prepare half for it at work today, but today I was going to like listen to all the LCD sound systems to get my head together. But no, it's just Richard Dawson on repeat. I'm, I'm stuck. I mean, that's why this podcast shit. Right? Because, yeah, I'm just, because I'm sitting here dreaming about Richard distracted. Dawson. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm so sure. <laughs> I am. Um, I have stated before that I like long songs, and um, I listen to. Yes, a, you I, have. Yeah, and I listen to. And, a, and you go running. I know that you're yeah, one of the running so punks. I haven't. And you like long songs. I'm indeed a running punk. To so link into another podcast we've done, um, 
But um, I haven't actually run to this one. So first thing to say is I've run to a lot of other LCD sound system and they're great running music is one thing. They are great. That kind of mm-hmm. consistency, the kind of like, f- not fall to the floor, but the, just the consistency of the beat is really, really good. Um, I'd never actually heard this one before um, until quite recently for some reason, uh, but I really, really like it. And I think 45 minutes is a great length of a track. And that's a controversial statement. And I may have that on my epitaph for life, but... There are a lot of bands who I like who do like one-off 45-minute tracks, and I think it's a great length. I'm just going to put it out there. Can I you think- say, though, that 45 minutes, 33 seconds is a shit length for a track because it's more than one side of a C90? And it's actually 45 minutes and 58 seconds, isn't it, as well, or something? It's not yeah. actually 45 minutes. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's yeah. longer, wanker. I, um, oh, could you imagine putting that on a tape for somebody and go, yeah, you've missed the... Do I cut out the beginning or the end? <laughs> I And I noticed, I just looked then, that on the Madison Square Garden gig, which I think became Shut Up and Play the Hits, they played the mm. entirety of this, like live, like they did the whole Brilliant. thing. Brilliant. Yeah, can you imagine that? It's like I read a review once of um, the Deftones, where they came on stage for the encore and played the entirety of Adrenaline. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You just like, you just wouldn't be, <laughs> you just wouldn't be ready for it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just... It's brilliant. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's great. I think it's really good. It's just... I don't think you can listen to it per se. Like, I don't think it works if you sit and listen to it, but I went out the other night, um, out the house, not out, out, because I would never go out, out. But I went for a walk around town with this on and it just works really well. It's just a great album to kind of get lost in when you're walking or I just think it's great. It's long and it's great. Right. Can quote that back. Long and great. <laughs> yeah, long that's and it. Great to what is their best album? Um, well, I, I think I, it's Donna not Silver. their best album, but uh, it has got. Well, this was a, this, this was the first. Santa Silver is the one that the first time I got to this, I was like, "Oh, thank God, this is actually." Because I was starting to really hate you, Aaron. I was like, "There's a half decent <laughs> album followed by this 45 minutes of Christ. What am I going to be?" On? And then, and then I, I put Santa Silver on. And I was like, oh, fuck me. This is a really good album. Um, it feels like an album, start to finish. Um, I, and again, there was a song that I didn't realize I remembered, but North American Scum came on. And the first time I, I was sitting there in the kitchen, I heard, oh, oh, oh. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this one. And um, Someone Great is brilliant. It's like a cross between The Knife and Postal Service. Um, Although I get there's a lot of Jimmy Tamborello and DNTL across everything that um, that we get from LCD Sound System. All my friends is brilliant. It sounds like a disco Ockerville River, um, which <laughs> is what I would listen to that album. Um, I I, think it was, I just thought it was really really good. It was a proper 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 album, and um, it was what the first album should have been. Oh no! It was clever. It was smart. Musically, it was doing something. Um, it wasn't being as meta, or if it was, I wasn't noticing it because the album was really good. I thought this was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. We don't um, normally agree. Think- we don't normally agree, Ewan, but yeah, I think that yeah, I've got to agree with you on that one. I think maybe <laughs> we can just chalk that up for a first timer. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it happens occasionally. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, people were saying, that, Aaron, you were the first to say, no, it isn't. Why isn't it? No, no, I thought you were talking about 4533. Oh, no, 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 that's a pile of garbage. It sounded so good. It's great. It's great for running. 
help me through my first half marathon it's always <laughs> okay, a part of my, well i mean I, mean, I know we finished the album but i was gonna ask did anyone ever actually run to it i did i run, to, run, it, I run to it a lot the first 20 minutes i love running to after that i usually don't finish it when i'm running to it but i love walking around town to it and i'm always dancing when i'm walking only statistic like, fuckers run for more I'm than 20 minutes like, anyway i'm doing everything that that richard ascroft should have been doing when he's walking around I mean, I know I know the listeners can't see this, but what he's doing right now looks much more like Bez than Richard Ascroft. Yeah, or like he's trying to start a fight with the entirety of this panel. Yeah, Nick's that's doing some quite big dance there. Yeah, that's that's nice, Nick. That's, I like that's, it. That's my best dance. That, it was actually my, it was very smooth. It, it was quite compelling. Like, I mean, I mean it, in reality, it wasn't, but it's nice to have my uh, my dance audio described in such an affectionate way. I'm, I'm guessing, as as we've already discussed, that we yeah we're from the same sort of musical era. Nick, do you have a dance that also has invisible invisible tambourine or invisible maracas? Oh, it's the little drums. Ah, oh, okay. yeah, invisible tambourine. Slapping the invisible tambourine against my hips. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to do that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Basically, Bez taught me everything I know about dancing, but that's for another podcast. <laughs> um, where were we? Oh yeah, yeah. We were we were talking about Sound of Silver. Oh yeah, best album. I, I I agree. Um, I think it's their best album. It's it wasn't my favorite for a long time, but now it's it's come around. It's grown. Um, I think their first album. I think in the first album, I think all of his influences are aren't quite melded together. So it's like, oh, here's my post punk song, and here's my Beatles song because I love the Beatles, and here's my really kind of funky mix of the Fall and uh, Gang of Four. And this album, it feels like all of his influence have been kind of melded together into like a a soup you don't see the seams as much his influences are there but they've been mixed together and what you like get when you mix all together is, mixed is talking into heads, the electronic right? mixed into like i think everything's a nice little soup and and i think every single song in this album is great like start to finish there's not a weak track um do you think it's like? Do you think it's like the sort? Of, you know, the, the 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 person who goes to starts going to open mic nights and for the first year they just sound like they're copying. I know whoever that like Ginsburg or whatever, and then and then later on they get their voice. You spent find... you spent a lot more time at open night nights than me. I think yeah, to, to down in the this progression from Ginsburg yeah. to I don't know what great poet in their own right or whatever. Yeah, he was like, hanging out in the East Village in the sixties. Yeah, <laughs> I mean Ginsburg. Oh, shit, that would have been so just for the record. But oh, oh, come on, that was the first one I could think of. <laughs> I just noticed as well the first three albums all have nine tracks. And that's quite an unusual number of tracks for an album, I think. It's got to be deliberate, right? Yeah, it's got to be deliberate. I mean, that's 999. It's a, it's a sort of shitty do, isn't it? That's 999, call the police. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, just I'm think dead. about it. Just, <gasps> just, just, the, United States the, is the fourth album. Oh, oh, shit. Yeah, I'm in the UK, though. I'm not calling 911. I mean, in the UK, it works. Yeah, but just, 4533 is one track, so I don't know. Maybe we can get this to work in a really laborious way if we... If we fuck around with reality never mind does anybody knew know any new age people that can analyze the numerology of this and try to figure out all i'm saying is, is. Going out four, the internet, someone will do it four five what? nine <laughs> just, it's I just the podcast has fallen apart at this point <laughs> there's a message so, from anyway, space i love anya that's basically what i'm trying to say anya yeah. What I would, what, one thing that's seriously about um, Sound of Silver is there's something like you mentioned all my friends earlier on, and uh, I'm going to make quite a big leap here, but all my friends does the same thing for me that Burial does. You know, Burial, the, like, the Untrue and um, that album. 
is that all my friends is like this kind of party anthem driving around going to night um going to um you know house parties and stuff i very rarely done that nor have I ever been walking home at 4 a.m. And stone quarries. Disused and stone quarries, quarries yeah. With, um, with, uh, and, <laughs> you know, burial is like walking home 4 a.m. after a rave when you're absolutely off your tits on something. I've never done either of those things. However, both of them make me feel like I have. Like there's something about LCD sound system that makes you feel like you've been to a big nightclub, you've been to a big night, you're trying to connect with your friends, but you know that it's kind of like all starting to die off now, you're getting a bit old, that kind of thing. And there's something about it that just makes you feel well, it's that kind of, to quote him, you know, it's that kind of memory from unremembered past, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? I've never done these things, but he makes you kind of feel connected. To, and there's something, not a lot of people can do that. There's something quite powerful about that to make you feel wistful for something you've never done. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So yeah. I think he's really powerful at that. There's something he does that's just amazing. I don't know what it is, particularly on this album. Um, yeah, I think it's amazing. Well, not, think it's not the favourite album, but it's amazing. I think this album, the, th- the thing about this album was that the first album, every song, you notice every song. Yeah. And you go, oh, uh-huh, this song's this. Oh, uh-huh, this song's this. Oh, this is good. This is not good. This is great. This is less great. Oh, this one sounds like this. This one sounds like this. Um, and if I was at a party and the first album came on, I'd be noticing the tracks. Mm. Whereas if I was at a party and this album came on, I would I'd just enjoy it. This is the only LCD sound system album I've read a book about. That's the fact. I've read a book about this one. There's a 33 and a third about it. So, oh. yeah, you should get it. It's good. It, a lot of it is about this idea that I he is... This. Oh, I've read that as well, but that's not just about Sound of Silver, is that it? I have being, read that, uh, though. Me in the Bathroom. Yeah, it's good. Uh, by Lizzie Goodman. Good book. It's basically LCD sound system. I'll put a link in the thing. Yeah. It's got too much strokes in it, though, and I'm not, I'm not into that. But... Um, it's a lot of it is about the fact he's older than everyone else. There's a lot about that in Sound of Silver, this idea that he's quite unusual in the sense that, you know, he's not 21, he's not 22. He's kind of, he must be mid-30s, right, when he starts releasing albums? Yeah, he's mid-30s. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So how in fact that's quite unusual. He did, this, he did that with his first, he did that with his first ever song that yeah. came out. Yeah. And I guess he was just a guy um, who, older than everyone else. he was spending just, far too much time hanging out with people who were younger than him. Like, <laughs> I mean, as a guy who's 47, who has younger mates, I have spent a lot of time going, pointing out how I'm older than them. Oh, uh, Not same. in a good way, but same. In, yeah. Same. Oh, I've gone man, back to university. Sorry. All my classmates are, I could be my classmate's father. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> it is weird, because you're what, like, you're like 24, 25? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, they're, they're like, they're like 18. I'm, I'm 38, but they're like, yeah. Okay, shit, that does work. 20. <laughs> One, so that um, makes me old enough to be their grandfather, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. basically, yeah. yeah pretty much. <laughs> the, um, I mean, technically, you know, fifty. Have a kid at fifteen. They have a kid at fifteen. Yeah, yeah then yeah, easy. Yeah, Granddad Hilditch. <laughs> yeah, I've been called that before. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe, but maybe that's a that's a thing that we we touched upon. I mean, the idea that, and this might be why music journalists have also been very forgiving and fawned over him a lot, not just because of the music, but most people writing about music have also probably gone, ah, who are these young people? These young people don't know anything. Ah, fucking young people. And uh, this is the the musical equivalent of somebody standing on the lawn and shouting at the clouds, but in a good way. And there's few bands that have done it really, like have 
managed to kind of ascend. I mean, take C6 Steve out of it, who was about 300 when he got famous. But like, say, like, the Hold Steady is the other one. So, you know, I know they did Lift yeah. a Puller, and I know Lift a Puller are, you know, very popular, but to do, they got big in their 30s, early 40s, and they're kind yeah. of the same as the LCD sound system. I mean, I love Hold Steady, but they basically are the replacements. Me too. And then they're yep. singing about being older than everyone else. They're singing about when they used to go to parties. So they're doing the same trope. And you get a, a band every so often who can do it, who can get away with that and just be slightly off kilter with what's going on, but still work. So LCD sounds to my hold steady. That's my hot take for today. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> Except I hate the hold steady. Whoa. Uh, that one album, Boys and Girls in America, is a fucking great album. And they are so good live. Yeah, they've got Finn's yeah, voice like a, is just oh, I can't do it. I think. Oh no, I think he's brilliant. He's like a he's like a drunk Woody Allen from Minneapolis. Yeah, they're from um, my state, so I have to. But so I feel like I have to love them as well. Like, <laughs> um, the other thing on this album, I was gonna, I'd forgotten to mention earlier, is that they have this thing, LC Sound System, where there is one outlier track on every album, and that is the single, like the first singles. Each album has the single. So the first album was Daft Punk's playing at my house which is quite different to everything else. And then this one with uh, North American Scum is quite noticeably different to everything That's, else. And I think it yeah, was yeah. the first single, I think, as well. And then there are... It definitely was, yeah. yeah. And then the next two albums, I think I can name the first single because they equally sound totally out of kilter with the rest of the album. But they seem to do it on every album. I mean, but the, isn't there a thing... Like, I can't remember which track is it. I, I made some notes for later on when he talks about not... We don't do... We don't do hits. Is it no, called you we, fucking do. We don't write an answer, yeah. and then you write a... Yeah, it's called We Don't hit. Write Hits or something. Here's eight songs and a hit. <laughs> I mean, he literally does, unless he's being really clever. Oh, yeah. well, let's get to that. Um, we're going to take a slight detour, back with Aaron, who's going to take us through a couple of, well, the last two albums, really. Mm. And then we'll, we're, we're going to go to the toilet, get a beer, and we'll be back in a minute. third album this is happening came out in 2010 with the announcement that it would likely be their last from the beginning james promised himself that he would quit at age 40 the tribulations of being a professional musician began to take its toll the constant touring separation from his family self-doubt connected to performing as his fame grew every day of his life had become that only good bob seeger song still the same his plan wasn't to tap out with some final bold statement, he just wanted to make a good album. He and the band moved into Rick Rubin's haunted mansion in LA, with the decision that everyone would have to wear white during the recording. For those keeping track, this marks the third time in the Temporary Fans podcast that I've described an amazing album recorded in a haunted space. Now I'm not saying that ghosts are the secret to great recordings but I may have moved my studio to the local cemetery. This is happening continued the previous album's winning formula. Slowly build up the layers, bit by bit until you reach a satisfying climax. Pepper it with some oral tricks from your favorite albums, add some silly lyrics, boom, LCD sound system album. Sticking to a tried and true formula isn't always bad. Just ask the Coca-Cola Corporation. On This Is Happening, James has sharpened his craft even more. When that bass drops on the opener dance herself clean, it feels like a gift from the heavens. Songs like I Can Change, You Want to Hit, and Pow Pow 
are as catchy as anything they've done. And Home is the perfect conclusion to their whole legacy. Its ending gives me goosebumps every time. Now as great as this album is, we can't ignore the coked up Bowie shaped elephant in the room. Drunk Girls is just a rewritten Boys Keep Swinging. Somebody's Watching Me is basically nightclubbing. All I Want employs the exact same guitar tone Fripp uses on Heroes. James has claimed in interviews that none of these were intentional ripoffs. There are three artists that are just a part of his DNA. Can, The Fall, and Bowie. Everything he makes will bear their stamp. He's said that Somebody's Watching Me was written when half asleep, and as he worked more, it became increasingly clear that he was making nightclubbing. So he just owned it. He embraced those similarities and had fun with it. He sums up his views on borrowing in a Pitchfork interview. There's all this anxiety that people are going to catch you. Nobody wants to get called out for being derivative or something. It's like, we're all making rock. No one's reinventing the wheel over here. If anything, the balance is struck by not worrying too much about it. So I'm spending my energy trying to make a good song, rather than spending my energy trying to cover my tracks. In the end, fans didn't seem to care. For myself, it was these very similarities that made it all so enjoyable. I want more Berlin Bowie. I want more The Fall, Talking Heads. And when it comes to Can, I think both of us just want more. This Is Happening was their biggest hit yet, cracking the top 10 albums charts in both the US and the UK, and gained them more fans than ever, myself included. In February of 2011, when LCD's sound system was at the height of their popularity, they announced that they'd be disbanding after a farewell gig at Madison Square Garden. And true to their word, they quit after this April 2nd concert. And just like that, less than 10 years after they started, they were done. I bet you're thinking, why haven't they started playing the top tracks from This Is Happening yet? Gosh, that Aaron sure does love the talk. Well, it's very true, but there's a reason I'm still here. Our story isn't finished. Fans like me were never quite convinced that LCD's sound system was done. It's not as if James Murphy himself announced his retirement. And what was LCD's sound system but a vehicle for James's music? We were fed by occasional glimpses of hope. There came the exciting rumor that James was brought on to produce a secret new project by the Arcade Fire, back when people still cared about the Arcade Fire. Then, in September of 2013, the first track was released, Reflector. It showed a new side to Arcade Fire. It was dancey, trancey, and fun. The perfect marriage one expected from James working with the indie superstars. And who was that singing in the background? Was that David Bowie? Expectations were sky high. The eventual album was not the towering triumph many expected, but it was good, and enough to keep our fingers crossed. James followed this up with a stellar remix of Bowie's Love Is Lost. Then there was talk that he was hired as a producer for Bowie's newest album. If this was what the post-LCD world would look like, I could live with that, even if I'd much rather have a new album. Then things fell silent music-wise. James moved on. He started making films, he opened a wine bar with his wife, he made coffee blends, he took the initiative to actually design a sound system, 
He plagued the New York City Transit Authority with constant petitions to recompose the sound of the subway turnstiles in an attempt to create a subway symphony. But still, no new music. It was in fact true that he was invited to work on Black Star, but things were already so far along, James is so used to being an in-charge control freak that it was impossible to realize his dream of working with his idol. He reached the ultimate conclusion that even though his life was filled with other distractions, he couldn't really move on with his life without LCD sound system. James had never stopped making music, and the songs he was writing sounded more and more like them. It became clear that he was afraid of what he needed. According to James, he turned to the star man himself for advice. Bowie told him that if the idea of continuing with LCD's sound system made him uncomfortable, then that's exactly what he should do. And that's when James realized that it was he who had been David Bowie all along. No, that's when it clicked that the only reason Bowie was able to beat Bowie was because he'd done nothing but make himself constantly uncomfortable for his entire career. In late 2015, multiple sources spread that LCD Sound System were getting back together to play the next year's festival circuit. The band denied the reunion, despite the release of a Christmas single. James confirmed the rumors at the start of 2016 with the announcement that they were releasing a new album later that year! Exclamation point. Even though they did play a handful of shows, 2016 ended on an extreme low point. Donald Trump was president, and there was no LCD sound system album to console us. Finally, in September of 2017, American Dream, their fourth official album, dropped. Backed by the insane hype behind the return, it debuted at number one in the Billboard Top 200. The critics ate it up for the most part. Tonight won a Grammy, it topped some end of the year lists, it was as if they'd never left. But did the album match the hype? It's hard for me to say. By the time it finally came out, my fandom had waned, but I couldn't deny that I was overjoyed to hear LCD back at it. I was let down at first. It wasn't quite as pumping. It didn't really make me want to dance. It just sounded mature. A wash of warm synths, somber tone, lyrics about dying. James has taken a lot of cues here from early post-punk, new wave, and goth. Clearly he'd been listening to a lot of Joy Division and Suicide. The whole thing sounded like the equivalent of a sepia-toned Instagram filter. But it has grown on me over the years. The first run of tracks are pretty great. I Used To is simply brilliant. James has been quite critical about his vocal abilities, but tonight may be his best ever vocal performance. How Do You Sleep is a beautiful love letter to both sides of Joy Division's work. Call the Police finds him making a psychedelic furs track. Yepic Closer, Black Screen, was a tribute to Bowie, and was to have a guest vocal by Leonard Cohen, but he passed away before he had the chance. I feel the track, and the album as a whole goes on far too long, and with the digital versions adding on the 14-minute Pulse Volume 1, it's all too much. But at the same time, I don't know what I'd even cut. It's a solid album from start to finish. And so what does the band have in store for the future? Well, who knows? As always, James is full of mixed messages. On the WTF podcast in 2021, he talked about how he was still making music all the time, but it was just for his family. He's been jamming with his young son who's already playing drums and is obsessed with James McGuck. So he must be a pretty good dad. James was adamant that they wouldn't tour unless they made a new album, and there were no plans for a new album. 
then, a couple months later, the band announced a 20-day residency in Brooklyn, the last couple shows being cancelled due to COVID. Then they released a holiday special sitcom featuring Eric Warheim as James Murphy. So really, who knows what's going to happen with them. LCD's sound system has tried a variety of things in their brief career, but there's loads more stuff that James likes that he's not even touched. Apparently he's a huge fan of Yes. So even if James does decide to go full-on 70s prog, one thing is for sure. As much as he gets flack for being more of an assembler of ideas than a creator, everything LCD's sound system makes sounds like LCD's sound system. Um, right, so this is happening, and by this is happening, the album, this is happening, not this podcast is happening, because obviously the podcast I mean, is happening. It is. It is. Um, we were talking a bit before we started recording um, that some people refer to this as the last Canon album. Nick, what do you mean? Well, no, I, I, I refer back to the aforementioned friend with whom I had a drink today who uh, was a fan, and uh, he, he was talking about them as having had three albums. And then he mentioned, it's like, well, they did really, they reformed and released another one, but that's not canon. That's his opinion. But he's also the sort of person who talks about Star Wars films as not being canon. So, you know, he's a, he's a very canon oriented guy. <laughs> no, but if it's, I mean, they've all got him in. Yeah, it's palpable nonsense. I'm not saying it's the case, but. <laughs> oh. um, somebody's going to tell me this is their favorite album. Um, I, I, no, they're not. It's like he, it's like Sound of Silver came out, and he went, "That works." Let's see if I can just raise your head. I, I do this a lot. Kid A followed by Amnesiac. They're, they're the same album, but different parts of the same album. And this sounds like the same album, but different parts of the same album. Just not the good parts. Um, I don't know. Um, I listened to it. It was nice. Um, I mean, you wanted a hit, like we were saying before. It's, yeah, you always write hits. But the hit on this was Drunk Girls, Drunk Girls, which was not as good as North American Scum, which was not as good as Daft Punk was playing in my house. It was just, here's another one. But it was fun, uh, musically. Um, was it One Touch had some lovely sort of 80s vocals and bleepy, bleepy, bleep, bleep. Um, I enjoyed it. It was more mature. It was a bit less of an album. Well, we've established more mature means boring, right? It's... It's I not mean, though. It's yeah, not. It's great. Sound of Silver was more mature. <laughs> Sound of Silver was more mature than, than, than the, 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 the the debut, but wasn't quite mature enough to be to get a bit stayed, I guess. Um, now I think this is a it's a good album, but it's if you played this to me as the only LCD Sound System album and said, "Ah, oh, they're a band I love," I'd, I would question it. If you played one of the first two and said. This is a band I love. I'd go, okay, let me hear some more. This one would be like, ah, oh, this sounds a bit like sounds like this this sounds like an old man dusting off his keyboards. <laughs> I used to ah, oh, I used to, I used to do some of that, some of that electro stuff. Let me play some of my electro stuff. Um tip your waitress, enjoy the enjoy the veal. It might um, have the lowest point in their career though. Like you know the bit when he's just going pow, 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 might be one of the lowest pieces of recorded music of all time. The rest of the song is brilliant. But I just, wow. it just. I like that song, yeah. I, I like the song, song, but that bit when he's just, he's just playing the key. It's like something out of like, you know, like he'd also be like shouting at the moon. Do you know what I mean? Just playing this one note saying, I just know that bit is horrendous, but the rest of the song is amazing. But that is the lowest point in their catalog. I think I'm going to put that out there. 
that bit remind that bit made me think of um this doesn't work for people who aren't really from the UK or you know UK TV, but Super Hands in Peep Show. Yeah, definitely. I, I could picture Super Hands in Peep Show <laughs> banging away at a keyboard, going, Yeah, this one, this one, pow, pow. Yeah, that that was it. Looks to me. I love super hands. <laughs> I think um, that, yeah, I think there was something yeah, on this album as well that I don't know why it hit me, but you know that kind of thing where the Arctic Monkeys went a bit lounge later on. I think it's like that intergalactic Transylvanian yeah. hotel or something, whatever it's called. Um, <laughs> this is st- sort of starting to do that. Like it's that, Ooh. like this, that kind of, I think it's We Play the Hits, where it's kind of a bit loungy, a bit aloof. I think they took something from James Murphy. I'd never thought about it before. Um, and I will defend the Arctic Monkeys, but I do think they took something from him, that kind of very aloof, middle-aged man mm. thing. Like Richard Hawley meets James Murphy is what they are now. But I suppose, I suppose there's a point where if you've been singing about either things that you consider to be life or, 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 or your reference points. So bands like Arctic Monkeys, um, they were singing about their life yeah. until such point, like every, every band, they get to their third album, they sing about the record company. And then after the record company, yeah. they go, shit, no one wants to hear about my really nice house. I've, I've sang about my favorite subject. I'm going to go a bit more mature and adult and write my novel and release the album based on my novel and everybody goes yeah where's, what about the, where's what about the, the hits young band <laughs> yeah where the hits play the hits <laughs> I, I, mean, I i think I, I think this is my favorite go on <clears throat> i put it out there i oh. think it didn't used to be but it is now i, I think see that coming it was well <laughs> you said it wasn't you can you cut that together with a bit where he also said that the sound of silver was his favorite i didn't say that no you all said that i never said that <laughs> i didn't no, fucking no. say that I said, I've read a book about not. it. I didn't say it was my favourite. <laughs> I just said uh, I've read a book. Yeah, see, I, you're thinking I'm using some sort of street talk, Nick. That's not street talk. That's a fact. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so. I just assume most of what you say is street talk because you're younger than me. Um, yeah, I'm below 40. I, I, I mean, I've read a book. I don't, I don't really... think that's street talk. I've read a book about yeah, yeah, exactly. it. <laughs> no, but like, you know, like no, that. but like, I'm not saying, no, not, if you just said like, um, no, but like if someone said, do you like the album? Yeah, man, I've read a book about it. Do you know what I mean? That might yeah, mean you that know, you think like, it's great. I mean, my assumption is anyone under 40 hasn't read a book about anything ever and therefore they must be using slang. Yeah, well, that's it. I'm pretty, I mean, this, <laughs> this dressing gown says I'm pretty down with it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, I, I don't think you really understand the target market of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. There's <laughs> <laughs> people who have, I mean, literally the target demographic of this podcast which, well, Spotify says to us, is probably the target demographic of all music journalism written these days and all books about music, which is people over 40. When are we, hey, um, hey, Chris. When, are, when are we going to complain about Adele? Because that seems to be that our target, Mark. Uh, could... I'm not going I mean, there. No, I'm, I'm not going there. I'm not doing it either, mate. Go... It, was, um, it was satire. I'm not going there. I would, hap- <laughs> I would happily complain about Adele, but the problem is, number one, I'd have to issue a groveling apology the week after at a mere culpa on full Australian television because I didn't listen to her album because she has that much power. And number two, she made Spotify get rid of that fucking shuffle. Yeah, didn't like that. You know. Because I think if, if it was so fucking important to her, just release it as one track. Like fucking James Murphy did. So I've brought this back around to LCC ah. thesis, sound system. One, yeah. See what I've done? One, another thing I think is worth saying at this point, actually, I'm going to totally... Um, we said earlier on about this idea that it's quite hard to name anyone else 
LCD sound system. I think he does make reference to someone in one of the songs. He mentions them and then they start singing. I can't remember what their name is. But the other thing about, I think on these albums, <laughs> I think on these albums, they've got, um, I think you pronounce the name Gavalan. But I think they're called Gavilan Rusum. They're, they're like a transgender artist and their album is worth checking out. They've done a lot of kind of more experimental, like synthy stuff. And I think they were quite influential in these the middle bit. You know, the bit like, the, like you say, that this is silver. Sorry, Sound of Silver, this is happening. Uh, they are really worth checking out. That's what I was going to say. Like they do a lot of really cool okay. stuff, but they are the cool. only other member, apart from the member who gets named on an album, I can name. <laughs> so that's it. So... Nancy Wang, that one I can. That's it. Well. They get mentioned. Yeah, yeah, She's Nancy the Wang. Yeah, voice you keep hearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is actually. A, 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 I'm glad this came up. Actually, there was a point when I was listening to probably by the time I got to this point, and I've already mentioned that there was a lot of things that reminded me of say of people like DNTel and and whatnot, and. There was a couple of songs on each album that I just kept thinking, if you'd got a guest vocalist in to do yeah. this song, this is a fucking great album. There was a couple of times because he was making, like D&Tel would probably do it a bit too much, but you'd get the right guest vocalist in for that track. Like two or three times now, but you go, this is brilliant. This is a great album. You've got the right voice in. And sometimes his voice just didn't fit. I mean, he, I mean he'll probably admit he's quite limited range wise and for it. some people that works but he also tried to be a bit of a vocal chameleon and echo and, and mimic some of the, his 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 influences and just sometimes i thought i just, just get someone else in for this one mate be su- such a such a good album yeah well I mean, that's got- kind of what i was saying earlier about him not having a distinct enough voice he's a great songwriter he's a great song constructor but um, and then yeah. you know maybe he should have taken take an approach more like uh, gorillas and just worked with guest musicians all the time. Yeah. Why and is then, why I mean, is everyone just referring to them in terms of other not as good bands? That's like gorillas, the fall. We've had Blair. Do you know what is going on? This I'm is not just fucking rise to that. <laughs> I'm just not having it. I'm not having gorillas. I'm not having it. All I'm going to say is LCD sound system one episode. The full six episodes. <laughs> to be fair, I'm, I'm more I'm more taking the gorillas to heart than I am for the four. Just to wind you up, but the gorillas one. I, I I think that I think that I think that first gorillas album was was absolutely absolute perfection. It's the the, album. the <laughs> third one was great. What are you talking about? Third one was incredible. Save it for the fucking gorillas was perfection. Um, <laughs> but also, we're talking about if you think we're talking about getting that guest sort of vocalist in. My point of reference was more. Um, was it yeah, sort of Chemical Brothers mm-hmm. stuff? Because the ones I remember that are not sort of was there was the one with Mr. Verve. What, what's his face? Um, Second reference tonight. There was, yeah. There's oh, yeah. a bunch of Chemical Brothers and, and, and Uncle as un, un, uh, the Uncle stuff as well. There was a lot of get a guest vocalist, and you go, ah, oh, this one, oh yeah, this is nice, and, and it sort of. Slipped into. I mean, it'd be a diff- he could have got his idols in. He could have got. He could have got David Byrne on the one. He you, could have got. I, I think ultimately, I'm glad he didn't do that, though. I mean, it'd be a very different animal if he had. Yeah, he could have. It's, he totally it's, could have. He, he was probably then, then in a position. He, he could have done a whole album pastiche. with guest musicians, but he didn't. One album. One album. <laughs> <would've been great. laughs> He he sold his soul to Nike for album number two. That's true. I mean, let's, yeah, let's, that's let's, true. Come on. But he I do did think it through a lie. Like I think he did it, and he, he did it almost as a middle finger to them. 
as yeah. well. Did he did he give the money away? No, probably not. I mean, I wouldn't have. I'd have taken no, no. the money. I mean, he I'm, took the money. You know, take the money. We don't know how much he got. I mean, I don't think Nike pays a lot. I. You probably got a pair of shoes, and they're like, "Thanks." Yeah, but he got a lot of bad credibility, I guess, from Nike. I don't suppose he cares, to be honest. No, I mean, I, a lot. Of, uh, I think he probably paid. I think paid what's, for a nice what's, holiday. what's what's interesting <laughs> about it. I mean, I know we're, we're jumping back a couple of albums here. Is is the fact that it doesn't actually tarnish his career that much at all? And a lot of bands, it would. You know, you, there'd be that band who did that Nike album, but you know, he just a- did it as a throwaway album, and it. It doesn't seem to sort of be detrimental in any way. But maybe he was also he was also one of the first to realize that with streaming, which was starting to really start to kick in about you know midway through his career, um, most bands now they are going right. We need to get a song on X medical drama, you know, Grey's Anatomy or whatnot. That's be the one that make. Or we need to do an advert. Or we need to get this track on telly because we're not going to make shit from downloads anymore not enough people are buying records i think the other thing as well is actually um i'm going to make one lame reference and then just something else but like i was thinking earlier like it's a tired reference but i suppose what he did earlier on was that kind of almost like andy warhol thing isn't he he doesn't think there's high and the low he just does whatever he wants to do it's kind of like you just throw everything at it you meld it together you know him doing nike was like warhol just doing like um you know uh art and design the soup can it's all just to him it's all one thing and I think what's interesting about it is a friend and I were talking recently that that's what you've kind of ended up with now in 2021, that a lot of kind of more youth-centered culture. There is no irony anymore. You don't do things because it's ironic or you don't do things because you think that, you know, you're making a statement or anything like that. You just do what is good for you as an artist. And that's what seems what he's just done. He's just like, mm-hmm. that single will get me big. Doing Nike thing is something I want to do. I think I read somewhere that he said he wasn't interested in running to it or anything. He just wanted to make a very long song, and Nike allowed him to make a very long yeah. song. So I think there's something about him that's just like fair enough. Yeah, he just realizes that that will get him somewhere. Like any of those great like auteurs, he's just like I can just do it. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's. Do you, do you think? Do you think there's a he wouldn't have been able to get away with that Nike album if he was from London? Do you mm-hmm. think there'd have been a London music snobbery or even a Maybe. UK music snobbery? The, yeah. press, the music press would have ripped him to shreds for it. Whereas maybe because, I don't know, maybe the makeup of the US. Or he wouldn't have done it because like, of fear of that. Yeah. I mean, if he'd done it and been as blasé about it, then maybe they wouldn't because people would be like, or, you know, making that the, the story. Like, Yeah, the cool? enemy would have called him a, a pride. Yeah. They would have called him a prize prick for doing that, wouldn't they, in the enemy? Do you know what I mean? It's just mm. like, yeah, I've never really thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, even if they had, he, he can turn around now and go, yeah, but I'm not being hand- I, I wasn't being handed out for free at London tube stations while I was dying. No, I'm st- yeah. I still exist. You don't, mate. I think there are a website now with lots of ads. Yeah, it's just lots of things. It's like top 10 Nirvana songs and the top four Nirvana albums when it's all of them, that kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Top 10 pieces of clickbait 2021. Yeah, like, if, the clickbait if, 2020. if you want to do a feature on 10 fans, then uh, please get into yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Top 10, 10 fans episodes. We'll, we'll help you out. Um, Aaron, Aaron, um, we, I mean, we were talking earlier about Sign of Silver and where do you, what do you think has changed or not changed moving into these, these final two albums? Because we've got this one, which was the last one before they split up forever, ever. And then we've got the next one, which we'll move into, which is when they come back or grandiose. Um, 
Did anything change? Did he ever change? Did, did you just do I, more of the same? Did he I don't think so. I think he's gotten older. I mean, I mean, I don't want to jump to the next one, but you know, you use the word mature. I think American we Dream is his mature yeah. album. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. But let's, but, let's jump. But, let's jump to the no, next no, one. No, I don't I mean, want like, to. I, I just wanted. I want to hover a bit more on this one because we actually haven't talked about this album really much at all. <laughs> <laughs> Everything <laughs> but this album. I love this album. I love this album. This is the one that got me into them. Um, I didn't like LCD Sound System before this. I, I, I just, I had never heard them, but I just had written them off. I'm like, oh, that's what hipsters like. Fuck them. I don't like this. Like, it's electronic. I don't like electronic shit. Fuck you. That's that was my attitude about LCD Sound System, having never heard them. Um, and I remember, I remember uh, the the independent uh, public radio station that always played cool music. They got a hold of uh, Pow Pow, which they'd released as a like a special release and they were so excited like you guys lcd sound systems new albums coming out but we got an exclusive track there's only a couple radio stations that got it and we were one of them and you're gonna hear it now and i just haven't been driving right when they're playing it i listen to it and i'm just like i don't know if i like this or not but it's fucking annoying i'm getting really vulgar all of a sudden <laughs> I was happy. sorry sunday night man just go for us um, anyway, we're just going to embrace it. Just no, I, um, and I, I didn't like it. I'm just like, Oh, I don't really like this. And one of my, uh, one of my buddies whose tastes I really used to respect until he started telling me how much he loves you too. But he burned me a copy of this album. He's like, you need to listen to it. I'm like, Oh no, I heard that pow pow track. I didn't really like it. And he's like, put it on. I'm like, okay. So I put it on. I remember one day and like, I had this thing back in the day where I used to like get high and clean the house. So I put it on, I got really high and I started cleaning the house and I'm like, just sitting there, I'm like, oh yeah, this is like, this is like the coolest David Bowie song I ever heard. I'm like, no, this is like the coolest talking head song I ever heard. And then pretty soon it just clicked. I'm like, oh yeah, this is like all my favorite stuff mixed together. And it just, I really got into it. And then it. But don't, don't you ever get to a point where you go, this is like a really good Bowie track. I just think I listened to some Bowie. No, mm. no, because it's not Bowie. It it has a different vibe. He's he's got a different vibe going on. He's not doing exactly the same thing. I think he's he's copying a lot of elements of it. And I think this is the mm-hmm. most Bowie album he ever made. And yeah, that's exactly what my notes say. It's just like it's just like it just sounds like he listened to like Berlin era Bowie and it's just he was just like shooting Berlin era Bowie into his veins and decided to make an album or something. I don't know. It's uh but I really like it. I think it's great. I think there's so many, so many good tracks on this. There's also some bad stuff on here too. Which ones? Um, the, the the his his rewrite of night clubbing. I don't really like. Oh yeah. Um, you can't, can't deny when dance yourself like clean it. kicks in. I mean, dance yourself clean is amazing. Like that is um that yeah, is the big. Second when that second when it gets yeah. loud and it hits, um, you're like yeah. That is great. Hit. I really love that track. I love mm, Pow I Pow now. Um, I think I Can Change is great. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. There's one, there's points where it gets annoying um, that All I Want, where he, he does the, the Robert Fripp hero's guitar tone. I think that gets really annoying at the end. And I always notice when he gets really boopy beepy with his guitar, and I don't really like that at all. But the song itself is really cool until the end. Um, and of course, the finishing track. I think "Home" is like such a good cap on his career. But like, I really got into it. And I was so happy because I'm always looking back. I'm always discovering bands too late, like listening to groups be f- like 
after they've broken up or when they've gotten too old and they only do like farewell tours and things like that. And I was so happy when, when this album came out and I got into it right when it was big because I'm like, finally there's a band that I'm, I'm, I'm up to date. I'm with them. And like, I remember I liked the, the arcade fire at the same time. Cause I really liked uh, the suburbs as well. I'm like, I have two bands. I'm hip. There's two current bands. I like and then, like, this album came out and an LCD sound system broke up immediately after. I'm like, you pieces of shit. I hate you. <laughs> um, didn't he produce Reflector? Yeah, he did. That's, uh... Yeah, the next, the next Arcade Fire yeah, one okay. after Suburbs, right? Yeah, that yeah was after Reflector, Suburbs, yeah. he did that. And that, that one really let me down. I was like, I, I heard that they released the single. I'm like, James Murphy producing Arcade Fire, who before they started sucking really badly with David Bowie. I'm like, this is going to be the best album ever. And it wasn't. It was OK. I, I, I remember that I, I once paid five pounds to see Arcade Fire and still left early. That's one thing I would say when they played that. I think it might be on the Reflector tour. It was dreadful. They were just so bad. Like, um. One of the best gigs I've ever been to was Arcade Fire in some oh, church too. in London. They, they were they were fucking was, amazing. Was it the Union Chapel one where they walked up the? Was it the Union Chapel one where they walked up the thing? It wasn't Union Chapel, but it, it, it was the it was the chapel on the other side of town. It was a little church. We were there the next night. Oh, the okay. first night they went outside. Yeah, that's the one. The next night they came in. They they came in into the back and started playing. And then went up onto onto on stage, and nobody was stand nobody was standing up because it was one of those fucking London seated down things. And everyone he finally got everyone to stand up, and he started walking across everyone's chairs while he was singing. And I just remember him walking behind me uh, onto my chair, over my mate's chair. And my mate's going, "Shut the fucking coat!" And I just, <laughs> his, his gut instinct at this amazing seminal moment of music history. The like, I'm never going to see this again. Is shit. I've got mud print on my fucking coat. I'm, with to be Wayne fair, Butler. I think it's one of the Lynn Butler's footprint online for a lot of money. Yeah, you could. I, I think one of the best gigs I've ever seen, and one of the worst gigs I've ever seen, are both Arcade Fire. So actually, maybe they just they're just divisive. <laughs> That's what um, you could say. For me, for me, the best gigs I've ever been to, and the the worst gigs I've ever been to, are often in the same spiritualized gig. Wow. There are, moments, the there are moments I go, this is fucking amazing. Oh my God. This is, and then 20 minutes later, I'm like, I just want to leave. And then I'm about to leave. I go, Oh my God, this is amazing again. I love spirits. I've seen them six times and every gig I've hated bits and loved bits. I once took my wife to see a duo that was Thurston Moore and Jason Pierce. And I thought <laughs> during halfway through the gig, she might leave me. It was that bad. Like it was, so, it was so bad. It was just so. so I felt. I actually feel quite guilty to this day. It's one of the multiple, one of few gigs I feel guilty for taking it to, and it was really bad. Like, yeah. if that's the worst thing you've done in your marriage, you're probably okay. Um, yeah, because it's like my wife and I we were, we were at one of the Autumn parties, and the best thing all weekend was the spiritualized sound check, which we caught by accident in the middle of the afternoon. It was it was half an hour. There was no one else in there. They played, ladies and gentlemen, we're floating into space. It was wonderful. And the worst thing all weekend was spiritualized headlining that night, who didn't play, ladies and gentlemen, we're floating into space, who ignores the, who ignore the audience for two hours and just just got really shitty. And it was just yeah. And I think also one was there, but you sure Christopher wasn't there? Well, I was, well, I was, uh, no, because that's too many people. They, um, (laughs) they, um, but just on that point, keeping it referenced, actually the strange link is that, so LCD sound system, when I saw them at Leeds, 
I remember that I, when I used to go to the festivals together with my friends, there'd be certain bands that you'd go to see, but no one else would. You know, you kind of wander off on your own. LCD Sound System was one of them. But anyway, Spiritualized was another one that I did. And I remember they played this song. And I just remember the chorus was something about Jesus coming to you in the steps or something. And I thought I was having an out-of-body experience. They were just like totally uh, amazing. But I don't think I've ever heard anything since. But um, I had, that was a good Spiritualized gig. You should have been at that one. I'm starting to feel like we're avoiding talking about American Dream. No, <laughs> I'm into it. I'm, I'm, I want to talk about it. So, <laughs> it's not they canon, split though, up. right? They split up. It's the canon. Big LCD um, split up. Big thing. We've done it. Madison Square Garden, big split up. Blah, 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 blah. It's over. It's over. It's over. But it's never over because people always come back. They came back with an album that has been maligned in some quarters. Um, which was um, obviously how, how, what was the gap between? Seven years. Back? It was like yeah, seven yeah. years or eleven or six years from the breakup. Radio, Radiohead don't split up and take longer between albums than yeah, this. Yeah, but they hadn't um, announced they'd split up. I mean, that's the crucial true. difference. Um. <laughs> so, if John Hughes, when I was listening to this, I couldn't help thinking if John Hughes was still making the movies he made. We're still making movies, you know, like Breakfast Club, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but they were being made now with a sort of '80s-ish modern soundtrack. It's American Dream. It just sounded like a modern. The entire thing sounded like this sort of pastiche of I don't know, psychedelic furs, Echo and the Bunnymen, Talking Heads, um, and it just it just it just made me feel of this. Those kind of Molly Ringwald, Judge, Judge Nelson uh, movies from the eighties, except obviously up to date, but not really up to date. I I would second that because um, two reasons why. One, I had the song called American Dream, just quote Nostalgic Christmas. That's what I reviewed American Dream, the actual title <laughs> track as. They made a Christmas song. They made a Christmas song too. They, yeah, they did, Before which I didn't know about. And, and the other thing I would say is, so I've got it next to, I think it's what I used to or something. There's something on this album where some friends and I were talking about it recently. There's a real resurgence of like dream wave where every single band sounds like there's far too much fuzz on it. And it sounds like you're just trying to like roll off into the sunset while they're beautiful dream. And this album is a bit like that. It's like the start of that where it's all just a bit too sun-kissed and hazy. Like nothing's got any kind of like um, crispness to it. It's all just Dreamwave, and I'm quite anti the new Dreamwave movement, but it's kind of a little bit like that, just dreamy, like dreamy, sleepy, nighty, snoozy snooze. Do you know what I mean? Just make you feel nice all the time. I mean, I, I felt like Taken as a whole, the album, was one of those, it was like, you know, it was all nice. It was all just there, but none of it had the kind of hooks or anything of the, of the really great LCD sound system songs. But... I have to say there was one point where like I was listening and there was something I liked happening. I don't know. I just thought, I'm just going to check what song this is. And the title of the song genuinely made me laugh out loud. And that song was Emotional Haircut. That song's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's my, that's my <laughs> that does sound like something from Nathan Barley, though. <laughs> I know. Well, exactly. It was just, it's just a funny song title and that justifies its existence. Is this the album that has Call the Police on? Yeah. yeah. I, I thought that was great. Mm. Nine, 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 call the police. Make sure, well, no, make sure. Technically, th- nine, nine, one, nine. Yeah. How many is this? <laughs> I think what's weird about emotional haircut, I noticed this the other day, the beginning bit 
sounds like early Sonic Youth. It's got that kind of really like rhythmic drumming. And then the early Sonic Youth where they're like chiming, so they're playing behind the, the I think they're playing behind the strings, um, the, the, anyway, you know what I'm saying, but chiming with like high notes. It's got like a weird Not Sonic really. Youth early, like Confusion is Sex or Bad Moon Rising vibe. I was like, oh, what's this? Mm. I was bored of it by the end, though, which also... What that song... Oh, oh, what's the the last track? What's what's the last track? Black. That's the Christmassy one, isn't it? It's it's, it's the sort of one, black something, black screen, black... Black screen. Black screen, so 14 minutes long. It reminded me a bit... I think it was also supposed to be a bit of a sort of thing about Bowie and oh yeah I thought it was I thought it was really good I listened to the album twice and oh, both times wait, wait. about seven sorry both times about seven minutes in I went yeah this is really good I'm just gonna I'll finish now I'm moving on there's another seven minutes of this track I just yeah so it's Paul it on later too. is Black Screen the last track yeah no, Paul one more. That's, like a, that's a that's a Japanese bonus track I think Paul's volume right, one right I had to look into that yeah, to make sure like I did but that makes the album 78 minutes long or something, which was just too much for me. So I just double-checked and it was not canon, so I took it off. <laughs> it feels what... like a standalone thing. It's just like... Chris, would you accept a song that was 78 minutes long? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, <laughs> basically, Dope Smoker by Sleep, right? Oh, I've, yeah. I've, yeah, oh, see? so good. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm just, it's actually 63, so but I'm still taking it. Um, it's, it's, is it... Is it um, Jay Maskis's, um Have you ever heard his, his? Was it Heavy Blanket? One of his side oh, projects. Oh yeah, yeah. It's basically stoner rock. It's Jay Maskis of Dinosaur Junior doing stoner rock, um, and there's no vocals. And even though technically there's gaps between the songs, there's it's it's forty five minutes of. Well, you can if you've never heard it, just imagine stoner rock with no vocals and Jay Maskis doing his Jay Maskis guitar thing for for about an hour. Something else about this album I would say is I actually quite like it. I know it's easy to hate on it, but I actually think it's got some good moments on it. However, there's a couple of songs that have very like U2 vocals on them. You know, like around Actung Baby when he was like singing through microphones all uh-huh. the time and it sounded like you were, you know, like recording in a different room, but he was singing through a microphone. Like, megaphones. Yeah. Like, Mega- it's like micro- it's this thing you always yeah, sing I mean, that's, in that's microphones. Normal, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know much about the technical process, but... Isn't a um, microphone a normal part of the recording process? Not in Bono's world. Oh, Bono using a microphone. <laughs> well, he sings like the microphone through the sunglasses. It's it's a little bit different. But, he, it's... but he, like emotional haircut has it. How do you sleep? I think has it. But it just sounds like Acton Baby. And it depends on how you feel about Acton Baby. But it's just got a really weird technique on it, a vocal um, mixing on it. Which just makes it sound too much like Bono, is my feeling. Um, I, I mean, you're referencing Bono for singing through a megaphone. Uh, my brain just went, yeah, but that's what Populate Yourself used to do back in 1988. <laughs> Bono, was, Bono was doing it in 87, mate. I'm just all I'm saying. <gasps> Bullet, the, Bullet, Bullet the Blue Sky. Bullet the Blue Sky, you know, he was... Uh, oh, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Yeah, but, yeah, but he was... <laughs> I'm, I'm gritting my How teeth, not to mention Marky Smith doing it. <laughs> I don't want to position myself as a U2 aficionado either because that's about... So, they came back. What, what, did, what was the critical reception? I mean, like some of the fans... I, mean, were positive. Positive. I did a little bit of reading around Pretty and then it was like album of the year uh, in a lot love. of places. Sorry, go on. Aaron. I was just agreeing with you. I was saying I read the same. People loved it. <laughs> yeah. Pitchfork. Pitchfork. They're like, what LCD sound system? We haven't heard it yet. Ten stars. 
There's the problematic thing with with um, you. You explained at the beginning, Aaron, that uh, LCD sound system were basically two bands, right? And then 2010, he announces, "Oh, we're breaking up the band." But there is no band to break up if the studio albums are just James Murphy. So the minute he goes back into the studio and records something new, isn't that a new LCD sound system album? How can you break up the band if the band is just you? I don't know, because that's what he said when he, when he talked about coming back together in the interviews. He's like, yeah, I started recording a bunch of songs. I was listening to him like, these don't sound like solo James Murphy songs. These sound like LCD sound system songs. I'm like, what <laughs> is the no difference, difference, dude? Right. <laughs> Didn't they, isn't there a bunch of um, Sessions albums on, online of basically the band that toured American Dream record, re-recording a bunch of stuff. Electric Studio or something? Yeah, There's Electric Ladyland like like, Sessions or something yeah, like that. That's it, yeah. Basically taking the stuff he did on his own right. and recording them as a band in the studio. Ah, okay. How does it compare? It's got a bit more muscle. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, because I, mean, I, I really want to hear them live now knowing that they have this two different entity scene because I had, you know, that feeling that this stuff should be heard loud. It should be heard in a party environment. If we're taking somebody who was basically the figurehead of a band, who was basically the band, um, it's not like when Mark E. Smith surrounded himself by people who would be known as, you know, like, so the Hanley brothers or whatnot, you know, like, my God, these are some great musicians who stand, who can stand tall on their own and people will remember them. Yes, it's Mark E. Smith's band over blah, 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 but they were also in it doing great stuff. We couldn't remember the names of the people in the band. But they're all in other they're, bands. They're all doing their other stuff. They're all they're, doing their yeah, own exactly. stuff. It, it's just, a, this is what confusing me, this whole hype that's been created about how he's got this 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 band that broke up and came back. I'm like, they're just fucking session musicians. What, what I read they're in an interview, they're, 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 He's musicians. taking them from other bands. Like, he's like, uh, Christopher was talking about Reina, who does a lot of uh, their own stuff, and Nancy Wang, I think, is in she's in the Rapture or she no, she's in the Juan McLean, which is also on the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. DFA label as well. And aren't they currently in the middle of playing 20 nights in a row as well? They're playing Terminal 5. Is it called Terminal 5 in New York? They're playing 20 nights in a row at the moment. Well, so yeah. you better hope he's got a band. That's all I'm saying. The guitarist <laughs> of Hot Chip is in the group as well. Okay. What I read him say in one of the interviews, though, was that when, he, when he'd written these songs and he was like trying to think about how he would do them, and he thought, well, it has to be an LCD sound system album, was that he felt he had to do it with those musicians because of the way he works, which is basically he's a bit of a bastard. He wants to really micromanage his band, and they're the only people who will tolerate him. So yep, if he brought that in anyone is the, else... And he admits it in interviews. Yeah, he's no, like, I mean, which is, you know, to his credit, no one likes me. But if he brings in other people that they might not tolerate him working the way he wants which, to work they which used was to. the album where he made them where he made them all wearing wear white yeah that yeah, was for silver uh, isn't this it? is happening oh okay this is happening yeah um all right well the marky e. smith reference comes back yeah they have a dick to work with but you know make some but they still go back and do it for some reason i think what's also worth like just like so i listened to a podcast the other day and they were talking about green day right again another uh, left field reference but they were saying Green Day tour a lot and they just release albums to be able to tour. Like they don't even, it doesn't really matter how good those albums are anymore. You just release more albums so you can tour. And then he's interesting in the sense that there are so many bands now reforming, but like you can't go out the house now without hearing that, I don't know, the 20th anniversary of fucking Star Sailor or something, or, you know, um, the Kooks or like, it's that period of time where like nostalgia has kicked in. So 
yeah, the other day I think that Razorlight played in Leeds because they're doing their album anyway, but you know, God help us. But at least he kind of said, I'm bringing this back together. I'm going to release an album and I'm going to, it's going to be good. Do you see what I mean? Like he doesn't feel like he's going through the motions. Like it does feel slightly different. He's doing something interesting. So to play live, he has to justify it. I just, I think I respect him for that because he could have just come back and played, literally played the hits, you know, to quote his own term. Um, but I respect, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's something interesting. The album, it doesn't hit everywhere, but there's enough on it that you go, yeah, this is all right. This is not someone just, um, but the Bono, I still can't forgive him for that. I don't notice the Bono thing at all. Or Mate, go back. Put Acton Baby on. Go back. Well, I'm and then put this up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not even saying it ruins the album. I'm just making a reference. Can, can Bono I, is a, a you know, he's a man of our time. Listening to Acton Baby first part. Mate, it's a, it's a pivotal musical moment. Just respect it. Respect it. Take it into your heart and go around to the world. That's what I would say. You I'm, know. I'm going to take this opportunity as we start talking about you two again to bring this turning into a shambles to a close. It has been a much better than I expected. Um, rambled through four pretty good albums, really. I mean, there were better ones than others, but there were some pretty good albums of a band who I don't know why I didn't know. Um, I think I was, there was a bit of Aaron about me of LCD sound system, fuck them. I never listened to them. Um, there's been some really good stuff. And first of all, Aaron, thank you very much for taking us through them. Um, no, seriously, it, it's yeah, been thanks, great. Thanks there's, for there's letting a- me. I, I love this band. I, I, they've been, I was late to the party, but once I got into it, I was like, I'm dancing. You can't see it, but he's pumping his uh, fist. Uh, That's how much he loves it. Yeah. Shut up! I'm white. Leave me alone. <laughs> it, 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 it looks. It looked like you were stabbing someone with a knife. Yeah, sort shut of up, psycho. I'm American. Leave me alone. <laughs> he was. He was smashing them with some big fat beats, like LCD sound system. So, That's what he was yeah, doing. From, yeah, so, it's, it wasn't a violence yeah. thing. So, so moving on. Moving on from our North American, um, Chris. It's been great to have you back on. Um, and 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 your and your your visit down nostalgia Christmas Christmas nostalgia whatever the phrase was uh, just um, yeah great just oh it's nearly Christmas so go play some LCD sound system it won't be when this goes out it's <laughs> just being Christmas just being Christmas be nostalgic for Christmas with American Dream perfect um, Nick yeah cheers welcome back <laughs> uh, see you all later. Much better than you expected. Much better than you expected. You and I are going to have to have words, Ewan. After a long break between seasons three and four, recording this episode has reminded me just how much fun we have putting episodes together. So thank you to Aaron Troy White for introducing us to LCD Sound System's complete discography, and to Christopher Whitby for bringing an appropriate amount of disdain for my preoccupation with post-punk. And as always, thank you to my pleasantly surprised co-host Ewan, low though his expectations may have been. Jonathan Fisher composed our theme tune, and what a joy it is to hear it again. But most of all, thank you to you, the listeners, especially if you've paid the subscription so you can hear the show as it's intended, and most importantly, the artists get paid. Please leave us reviews and tell people about the show. It's how we get heard.
As mentioned earlier in the show, the Temporary Fandoms podcast is now part of infrequency.co.uk, where you can hear a bunch of great music podcasts, both exploring music history and bringing you up to date with new releases. Check it out. Until next time, I'm Nick Hilditch. And yeah, you wanted it smart, but honestly, I'm not smart. No, honestly, we're never smart. We fake it. Fake it all the time.